0: When I first started preaching, Easter's kind of stressful because you go, what magic stuff am I going to say that they've never heard before? How will I dazzle them? And then at some point you figure out that you're an egotist and you go, you know what? The gospel is pretty amazing. Like the fact of the resurrection, you know what Christians really like to hear? Is that Jesus is risen from the grave. And because of that, we are going to be okay. I can live today because he lives. Such a beautiful thing. And this is such a fun place to, to celebrate. You know, I, you know even I, I was so filled on Friday night. We had a little Seder dinner and, and um, so fun. Just couldn't have been more fun. Passover together with our eye on, on the cross, on Jesus, as he delivered the Passover meal with his 12 disciples and how that ties into Old Covenant and New Covenant. You just see it all happen and you go, what a sweet time of fellowship. And although that fellowship is sweet, our church is not centered on fellowship. And although you know, we enjoy singing together, our church is not centered on singing together. Our church is a gospel-centered church, and as David even reminds you, that our mission statement is to be loved, because the, the gospel does not start with get to work, but rather the gospel starts with how much God loves you. This is the first thing that happens in your relationship with God, is God speaks. You are not trying to get an audience with God, and if you sacrifice enough, maybe someday you'll get there. No, rather, He is calling you. It is His voice drawing you to Him, and He profoundly loves you and wants to communicate that love to you and has most profoundly communicated that through the work of the cross. I'm going to take a drink so I don't have to hold this all the time. Just sitting there holding a the now, Gene. Um, and that is our mission, that you would know how loved you are by the Father that you would see that love expressed by the Son, that you would know that the Holy Spirit is here with you, continuing to love you and train you and sanctify you. And that is all amazing. But even all of that, even great theology, is not the center of our church. But rather, we claim to be, as many churches do, a gospel-centered church. That the pure and simple gospel is at the core of everything we do, and we like to apply the resurrected the, the, the message of the resurrected Savior to absolutely every facet of life and ministry, but it all is going to hinge on everything we do. the joy in our hearts, the way we love each other, the way we do ministry is always going to hinge on this simple gospel story. So we gather on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus what And and really, we do that once a week. This is a resurrection service once a week here. But it's not only that today, but we recognize not only the fact, but the centrality of the gospel, of the resurrection. The word gospel is a super familiar word, and I think that probably most of us have a pretty good idea of what it means. And maybe it makes the end of verse 2 that Becky just read us even scarier that we all pretty much know what the gospel means it has something to do with the death burial and resurrection of jesus that's not a surprise to you 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 showed up at church on easter sunday you you know that that to be true and yet can i challenge you with this if you have your bibles open which i assume you do to um to the 15th chapter of first corinthians it says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, it is possible to hear the story of the gospel, to even give mental assent to in some way believe in the story of the gospel, and yet to believe that in vain. Is that not at the same time as you think about the glory of the resurrection? Does not this piercing conviction come in where I say, I better be sure that not only do I know the thing that I've known my whole life, that Jesus died for my sins, but rather that it is so central in my life that I would not believe that in vain? What it means to hold something in vain is. It's to do a lot of the work, but have a tragic flaw. It's like trying to fill up a bucket with a hole in the bottom of the bucket. That, man, I did all the work. Where's the, where's the water? Where, why, why is the bucket not full? I think there are Christians all over that say, man, I'm doing all the religious stuff. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm taking all everything I'm told to do. I, I don't say curse words. And if I do, I only say them for a joke, and that's fine. And I don't watch bad movies. And I go to church as often as I can. Football season's hard, but still, I go to church as often as I can. And I do all this stuff. Where's the joy? Not only that, but there's scary passages in the scriptures that say things like Jesus is going to face some people face-to-face at the end of their life and say, I never even knew you." you. Say, but I was religious. My life was all about the gospel. Was it? Paul wants to guard his people, his friends in Corinth, against talking a good game but actually holding these things in vain, to doing a lot of the work and yet not experiencing the simple joy of not only the fact of the resurrection, but making the gospel central in our fellowship, central in each of our families, and central in our lives that the gospel would be what defines us. And I know it seems obvious, and it is. Remembering that the person and the work of Jesus is not the tough part. We've known that our whole lives, some of us. The tough part is not adding more to the gospel and not taking anything away from the gospel. This, if I may, Christians, I'm going to tell you the gospel. Ah, I know I've told you the story before, but I was about a 21-year-old theology nerd uh, thinking I was better than everybody else because I had all the answers. I know less answers now than I knew when I was 21 years old. And, and I remember visiting with my grandma, who had a very simple and wonderful faith, and I remember telling her, don't you ever just get tired of going to church? I was sick of hearing sermons, you know? Don't you ever get tired of going to church? And grandma very simply said, oh, to hear the gospel. You want to know if you love the Lord? Do you enjoy hearing the gospel? Paul says this is what's central to our faith that Christ died. That Jesus was a real man. Not just the idea of Christ, not just the spirit of the Christ, not just uh, an ancient idea of the divine, but rather that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God Himself, was a real man, bled real blood, and really died. And that he didn't die for no reason, but that he died for his sins. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, that he died for our sins, that it was my sin, that it was your sin that put him on the cross, that it was not just that Jesus died, but that Jesus' death was effective, was enough, was proper payment for your sin. And I could spend a whole lot of time talking about the theology of propitiation, but let me just ask you to like, make your mind a little simpler and go, do you need a savior are you a sinner? Do you know that you haven't measured up? You know, what became very clear to me as I was wrestling with whether or not I wanted to live my life as a Christian in my late teens was was just the idea that not only did I not measure up to God's idea of whatever perfection was, but I never even measured up to my idea. I was never the grant I wanted to be. What do you do with the burden? Well, Christ died and he died to pay the punishment for our sins. Amen. Not only that, but Jesus was raised from the dead. That Jesus actually died, was really dead, and by the power of God was raised from the dead. That death is conquered. That we no longer fear death because we look at the history of the world and we go tomb, 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 tomb empty tomb. He died for me and rose by the power of God that I might raise someday too. This is the central piece of your life. I know I'm not shocking you with the details, but what I would like to challenge you with this Easter morning is not that you would believe this stuff. You could nod your head and go, yep, nailed it, Grant. Way to go, gold star. Rather, I would like to say, what is the place of this story in your life? Have you taken away from it? Have you added to it? Is it the very center, the motivator, the reason you do everything you do? That Christ died, that he died for our sins, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he made public appearances, and that's very powerful. We also are not going to spend our morning talking about the proof of the resurrection, but there's plenty there, and we think that Jesus appeared to 500 people, and you go, why is that supposed to be, you know, uh, something that is a proof of the resurrection, that 500 people 2,000 years ago saw something. And you go, well, it was pretty a bi- pretty big deal when Paul wrote this because many of those 500 people were still alive. You want to know if Jesus raised from the dead? Go ask 498 people who are still alive, two of whom have died. Jesus died for our sins, raised by the power of God so that we might have new life was witnessed by many people, apostles and non-apostles alike, and that this all happened in accordance with the prophecy of the Old Testament. That's the gospel. what I miss? I worry that we, in our (sighs) culture of, I'm the only one that has the right answers, in our culture of outrage and intrigue, and our culture of us versus them, we have in some ways abandoned the simplicity of that story and added more to it. That is the gospel according to Paul. Nothing less than that. And it is possible for professing Christians to make much less of those details, of that story. It would be tempting to say, well, we don't really need all of this, right? I mean, whether or not Jesus actually rose physically, that's less important. Really, this is a story that is teaching us about renewal, about death and rebirth. I hear that a lot. And actually, that removes 100% of the power from the story of the resurrection. There is some utility in thinking about the new life we see around us. It's, I don't think it's a bad thing that we go, eggs and bunnies, those are new life. Those could point us to Jesus. But to say that the resurrection of Jesus is in line with just winter giving way to spring is entirely wrong. This is not something about the cycles of life. Every story that you have ever heard is beginning and middle, and end. But the story of Jesus is beginning, and new beginning, and eternal life. The story of you, if you would hold fast to the gospel, is beginning, and middle, and new beginning, and eternal life. The gospel is nothing less then God become a man and overcoming death. All of, those, all of those other kind of cycles of life end in death. Christ ends in life, never ending life. The resurrection must remain central. We're always looking for some new truth. Our culture reminds me a lot of, of Paul's comments about Athens. Do you remember as he um, as he you know, debated with the philosophers in Athens, he said they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. We like that. There's always a new philosophy. There's always a new gadget. There's always a new something. There's always a, a brand new, every, every uh, book on the, if, if there was such a thing as Christian bookstores anymore, I don't know, but, but every book on the bookshelf is reimagining and, and re-exploring and undoing The simplicity of the gospel must be central in our lives unless we are going to hold it in vain. We want to break away from simple and juvenile things. I think one of the temptations of of taking away or adding to the gospel is that at some point you go... Man, this really is the same story I've heard. I I asked the Lord to be in my life when I was six years old, and it's the same story. And at some point you go, I feel like I need to be more profound than the simplicity of the gospel. This seems kind of juvenile. If you can explain it to a child, then certainly it's not enough for the complicated adult life we're living. But may I suggest that instead of redefining the resurrection, we would be people who spend our time figuring out how to apply this simple truth that we trusted in our whole lives. The question is not, how do we make the resurrection more complicated? The question is, what does the resurrection have to do with your job? What does the resurrection have to do with your marriage? If the tomb is empty, if eternal life is yours, what does this have to do with worry? What does this have to do with anxiety? What does it have to do with pain? What does it have to do with sorrow? What does it have to do with the decisions we are making? We have made those self-centered because we have overcomplicated the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus is making a place for you. This all happened according to prophecy. Now, let's get about the work of applying that simple truth. To every aspect of our lives, the gospel is nothing less than that. The gospel is also nothing more than that. Along with taking nothing away from gospel, the gospel, let's not add anything to it. The resurrection, and I don't know how else to say this, guys, look at me. The resurrection of Jesus is enough. Amen. You don't have to add a camp. You don't have to say I'm a thisist or a thatist. You don't have to add a denomination. You don't have to add a philosophy. You don't have to add a degree. The resurrection of Jesus is sufficient for you. Let's not add anything to it. And in our complicated world where everything is complicated, we have spent way too much time and written way too many blogs adding to the necessity, adding to the centrality, adding to the profound truth of the resurrection. Let's not add any new law. You with me the gospel rests in the sufficiency of christ let's not add our behavior to his work salvation is jesus plus nothing salvation is jesus plus nothing that dirtbag neighbor of yours they don't have to get their act together they just have to come to jesus Yeah, but the Bible says this is wrong and that is wrong. Yeah, for Christians. Jesus plus anything is heresy as it relates to salvation. I think we tend to take away from the resurrection in our own lives. We cut ourselves an awful lot of slack. We think the resurrection... Should impact my behavior, but if the resurrection is true it's got it 's got to impact everything we do but um, but we we kind of go no well've 've got my own you know personal, and maybe it happened, and maybe it didn't and this philosophy and that philosophy, but then we turn around and we add to the gospel as it relates to others. that person can 't be a Christian because of what they 've done. this person can 't come to Jesus because of the lifestyle they're living. This person can't come to Jesus because of their past. This person can't come to Jesus because of the family they're from. This person can't come to Jesus because of the religion that they are currently in. we got to repent of that. Jesus is enough. And let me tell you, the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful that there are going to be lots of wrong people in heaven. Wrong about so many things, but also broken and willing to follow Jesus. What there won't be in heaven is pride. There will be lots of people with wrong opinions and who made, who, you know, held uh, beliefs or one doctrine or another that weren't right. In fact, I imagine our first day in heaven, we're all going to spend a lot of time going, oh. That, I I was wrong about that. Our faith is very simple. Let us not add law to it. Jesus is sufficient for you. The gospel, the story of the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection is enough for everybody you know. questions that i hear a lot are well can this kind of person or that kind of person be a christian let me tell you the kind of person that can be a christian with a pulse and willing to follow jesus do you see how instead of defending that to everyone we know instead we can rejoice about that with everyone we know pride however is not welcome When we claim that salvation is in Jesus plus behavior, Jesus plus a certain point of view, Jesus plus a certain lifestyle, Jesus plus a certain social construct, we're demonstrating our own pride. Let us give up figuring out what else is required and simply marvel at the power of the resurrection. Let us fall down. Let us bow. Let us rejoice we are saved. Amen. I do worry that in our age of outrage, of opinion, of division, and my side and their side, we have lost the awe and even fear required at the mouth of the empty tomb. See, so you, you don't run to the mouth of the empty tomb. Hear the angel say he is risen just as he said and then go... This proves me right. No, rather, you fall down and you worship. You run and tell everybody you know. God did away with death. What else should we fear? What else should guide our lives? So today, let's celebrate the resurrection and all its beauty. Jesus and all his power, adding nothing to that and taking nothing away. The wonderful gospel. We are a gospel-centered church. Let's be gospel-centered people, our only motivator, being the empty tomb. We have to keep returning to the gospel because in our frailty, it's pretty easy to get distracted, is it not? That's why the encouragement in the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15 are so vital. We would do well to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about uh, what we are to do with this precious message. How, how do we hold this? The gospel of Jesus' resurrection. Would you again read those first two verses with me? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I've preached to you, which you received. Check out the tenses for you English nerds. For which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If You hold fast, if, if, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So first, Paul says, here is where you should be focusing. Remember that the gospel was something that you received. It's part of your past. If you are a follower of Jesus, just spend a minute remembering what it was like to come to him. Uh, Paul in the middle of this, this book that is just full of like controversial topics. I mean, he's talking about marriage and he's talking about what church should be like. He's talking about social things. He's talking about what parties should I attend. And, and, and he's talking about uh, there's conflict in the church, all this kind of stuff. And at the end of this book, he's gonna boil it right back down to the gospel. And he's gonna say, I want you to remember getting saved. Remember that it was not something you earned. It was something you received. It wasn't your religion that won you the gospel. In fact, for those of us who have been religious our whole lives, at some point we came to the realization that we had to lay down our religious self-righteousness in order to hold on to Jesus. Did we not? Remember that the gospel was something that somebody cared enough to give you. Maybe it wasn't perfect, but I bet the story of how the gospel came to you includes a list of names. People that loved the Lord and and wanted good things for you. They told you the story of Jesus. They probably fed you. They prayed for you. They prayed with you. As Paul in 1 Corinthians has been talking about all of that controversial stuff, the biggest social controversies of of the day... In the middle of all of that instruction, he wants people to remember that this good news was a gift that he had given them. And there's something unifying about that. Raise your hand if you deserve the gospel. You with me? There's something really profound about going, remember how we were just given this? That, I mean, we responded, but this was a gift that we were given. Even just the story, even just hearing it, like without hearing it, how would I have responded? Somebody loved me enough to tell me the story. There's something unifying about that. There's something humbling about that. And so today, could we humble ourselves before the resurrection? Not only is the gospel something you receive, but it's the most important moment of your life. What defines you? What in your history defines you? You have failures that you feel like define you? You have tragedy that feels like defines you? Do you have victories, successes that you feel like define you? Do you have degrees hanging on your wall that you feel like define you? Do you, have, do you have land, property, withholdings, bank account? What do you have that you think defines you? Look, believers, none of that stuff defines us. We're not taking any of that with us. The thing that defines us is the gospel. So we probably should make that the center of our lives. Remember who you are. You are not your family. You are not your job. You are not your social affiliations. You are not the city you live in. You are not um, the church you go to. You are not your favorite team, your favorite band, or your favorite celebrity. You are defined by the death, the resurrection, the power of the gospel. So take a deep breath and remember that the gospel was something you received. And that really changes our perspective from something to fight and defend into something to joyfully take to others. And I don't know if you can, with anger in your heart, fight and defend it, and with joy in your heart, go and take it to others at the same time. It's also So it has something to do with your past. It also has something to do with your present. The gospel is something in which we stand. Of course, the gospel didn't stay in your past, at least and shouldn't, although I guess that would be one way to hold it in vain. Maybe you are somebody who came to Christ, who believed the message, but life has just gotten full and busy and it's just not, it's a a side part of your life now. It's not something that you've rejected. It's just, you know, career and family and the whole thing has been hard and you got to lean into that stuff. And so the gospel has made its way to the outside of your life. Paul would say, this is a great day to knock that off. To make the gospel the central thing in your life. Maybe Paul would encourage his friends, if in any way you feel like you have moved on from the gospel, say, yeah, the gospel, that simple story is fine, but, you know, I'm, I'm reading very complicated books that are very long with big words. You probably wouldn't understand. You see, I've moved on from the gospel into theology. Move back. Theology is fine if what theology is is an exploration of how the gospel applies to every facet of thought, philosophy, and life. But if what we're doing is looking for the right camp so we can join it, we should knock that off and make the gospel central. If in any way you feel like you've moved on from the gospel because Sunday school stories were fine when you were a child, but adult life is full of climbing ladders and achieving and 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 pressure and doing all of that stuff if jesus loves me this i know felt childish at some point and instead you have dedicated your time energy to economics or social or philosophical theories would you please today could i invite you to return to the simplicity and the centrality of the story of the gospel Make the most, maybe, profound thing about you is Jesus loves you. This you know. I guess I would even encourage you with this. What are you standing for? What is it that's most important to you? What are you standing in? What do you rely on most? What does your mind go back to several times a day? What does your life revolve around? There is something that you are standing in. Paul uses this, this language many times, not just here. So he says the gospel is something you received. It also better be something you are still standing in. That's where you remain. You have not moved on. You're still standing in it. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, just a chapter later, he'll say, be watchful. As he's wrapping up the book, he'll say, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Oh, dude, if you want a personal mission statement, just tape that to your mirror. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. What are you standing in? Is your faith central? In 2 Corinthians 1, he'll say, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. Ephesians 6, um, as he's laying out the armor of God, says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Many of us have turned the gospel into something that used to be important to us, but we've moved on. What is it you're standing in? And if it's not Jesus, if it is not the resurrection, would you repent to that and get back to standing firmly on the promises of God and God alone? I love how Paul continues as he says, It's something you received, it's something you're standing in, and it is. That by which we are being saved. It, uh, the NIV, I think, just leaves it in the past tense. By which you were saved. But, but it, it, is, it should be in that continuing progression. You were saved. You are saved. And you are still being saved. The gospel is not done with you. Just because you can understand the precepts of the gospel does not mean it is done transforming you. As you walk with Jesus, you will continue to be transformed into His likeness. And if you've stopped walking with Jesus and were initially brought into the family of God but have not been walking as a child of God, then you are holding the gospel in vain. I didn't write it, Paul did. That you might be technically saved, congratulations, you're going to heaven, but you are not experiencing the joy, the hope, the peace of life walked in step with God. You were born again. You grew. You will continue to grow. Your life will be filled with more peace, more hope, more love. This is the future you have to look forward to. The gospel defines your past, your present, and your future. Death was conquered, is conquered, and will be conquered. Jesus loved you. Jesus loves you. He will continue to love you. So to believe in vain would be that we know about the resurrection without living for Jesus. Okay, forget about all these other people in the room. What it would mean to hold the gospel in vain is to believe in your head, your mind, give mental assent to the truth of the resurrection, to know who Jesus is, but not be living for him. If you've been, even though you know full well Jesus rose from the dead, you could argue for it. And you have been good at defending Jesus in the social arena. But what you haven't been doing is walking in step with him. Man, would you stop listening to what I'm saying and just bow your head and get back in step with Jesus? Would you stop holding it in vain? Would you instead make the resurrection the central thing? How does the resurrection like, impact your work, impact the hardest parts of your life, impact the, the sorrow in your life, impact your future? Paul simply says, hold fast. That's a great image, holding fast. I, as I was writing that down, I remembered we were at Bryce Canyon, and um, I'm going to owe Miguel money because I'm going to tell a Miguel story. Um, we were at Bryce Canyon, and I, I think the wind was like 6,000 miles an hour or something. And, and um, <clears throat> it was really important for me to be there because I had this idea I was going to throw a... a Frisbee off of Bryce Canyon, which is not the right thing to do. Pray for me. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. Um, um, so we were looking for the right spot to uncrank this, you know, disc golf drive, and, uh, and it was blowing so hard that Miguel, who probably weighed 12 pounds at the time, was actually laying on the ground, like holding on to things so he didn't blow off of Bryce Canyon. And, you know, it's one of those times when you're a dad where you go, yeah, we should go. You know, like <laughs> that's, that's probably not good anymore. But I just picture Miguel just holding on. Culture will blow some winds at you. Your history will blow some wind at you. There will be tragedy in your life that doesn't make sense. There will be a society that you look at and go, I don't like it as much as I used to. There will be things that happen where you will be forced to just hang on to the simplicity of the gospel. You're not going to be able to work it out in your head. It's not going to make sense. You're going to have to look at the empty tomb and go, God, if that's all I know, I'm just going to hold on to you. I'm going to give up my striving. I'm going to give up trying to figure everything out. I'm going to stop trying to defend my way. And I'm just going to hold on to you. And if you've been holding on to anything else, if you've been trusting yourself, if you've been trusting your own talent and ingenuity, if you've been trusting your own strength, if you've been trusting your own ability to plan your future, would you let go and hold fast to the simple truth of the gospel? Would you spend time not thinking about which theological camp to join or whatever, but would you spend time thinking, this is what's going on in my life. How does the resurrection apply to this? When you have a bad day, where do you turn? When it comes time to celebrate, where do you turn? When you think about your future, where is your hope? Where does your time go? Where does your energy go? To what are you holding fast? The question isn't, do you know about the resurrection? The question is, have you put your whole life in the hands of the one who conquered death? If you're trusting in your plans, in your might, in anything that you won't take with you before you meet the judge of the universe? Would you let go and hold fast to Jesus? You know, I thought I would end our time together um, just reading the story of the resurrection in Matthew. And I wonder if you could do one of two things. Would you either, I'm just going to read nine verses, um, and you can either, Matthew uh, 28, you can either read along with me or you can just close your eyes. And you can think about what it is that you've been trusting, what it is you've been holding on to, what it is that's central in your life. You could just listen to this very simple story, and you could repent of whatever else it's been that you're holding on to, and instead, you could make this the center of your life. And if you have never turned to Jesus ever before in your life, if you've never made him central, if you are not walking with him, could I tell you how much he loves you? Could I tell you that there's no entrance exam, that there's nothing you have to know except that Jesus died, resurrected, and is calling you to follow him? And I don't have you know, eloquent enough words to explain the whole thing. But if you will give up yourself and follow Him, you will live a life of love and peace and joy. Amen. And if today is the day when you would, for the first time, give your life to Jesus, then I would invite you to do that now. This is the story. And worship team, why not you come up? We'll sing a song. And... Now after the Sabbath, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Would you today let go of whatever else is in your hands and hold on to him and worship him and him alone?